This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot slash A-N. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, March 17th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show... Staring defeat in the face, incumbent UAW President Ray Curry disputes the union's election process, Mazda gets a new CEO, and VW invests in mines with the goal of becoming a global battery supplier. Plus, we'll hear from service advisors coach Coralie Zueff about how to attract more women to work in dealership service drives. I've listened to some recruiters talking about finding technicians and employees and they're, you know, just referring to them as the guys. And when he comes in and such, they've already narrowed it down. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Mazda has appointed Masahiro Moro to be the automaker's next CEO. The 62-year-old is a longtime veteran of the Japanese automaker's critical North American operations. Moro was chairman of Mazda Motor of America before becoming head of the company's administrative division in 2021. He'll take the new post in June, pending approval at the company's annual shareholders meeting. He takes over from 65-year-old Akira Marumoto, who has served as president and CEO since 2018, Marumoto will become a senior advisor. Jeff Guyton will remain head of North American operations, but he'll also become the company's global chief financial officer. Incumbent UAW president Ray Curry has filed a protest against the union's election process. Curry trails challenger Sean Fain in a runoff that has been unsettled for two weeks while officials work to verify more than 1,600 challenged ballots. It's the union's first direct election of leadership and it comes as the union prepares to negotiate new contracts with Detroit automakers. Curry claims thousands of members were disenfranchised and that the winner of one regional director race was ineligible. Curry's team released a statement today saying there are, quote, a number of significant issues that have come to light recently that call the election into question and require immediate investigation. A federal monitor is overseeing the election, That was a condition of the UAW's corruption settlement with the Department of Justice. General Motors CEO Mary Barra met with two key U.S. senators on Thursday as the automaker pushes for legislation to speed deployment of self-driving vehicles on U.S. roads. Barra met with Senate Commerce Committee Chair Maria Cantwell, a Democrat from Washington State, and she met with Senator Gary Peters of Michigan, who is also a Democrat and member of the Commerce Committee. Congress has been stymied for more than six years over legislation to ease regulations that would allow for the deployment of thousands of autonomous vehicles. GM wants to deploy its Origin vehicle, which has subway-like doors and no steering wheels. The automaker says vehicles will require passengers to buckle seatbelts prior to autonomous rides. And Volkswagen Group plans to invest in mines to bring down the cost of battery sales, meet half of its own demand, and sell to third-party customers. That's according to the automaker's technology chief, Thomas Schmall. He tells Reuters that VW wants its battery unit, PowerCo, to become a global battery supplier, not just produce for the group's own needs. 
Schmall says PowerCo will start by delivering sales to Ford for the 1.2 million vehicles the U.S. automaker is building in Europe on VW's electric MEB platform. Long term, VW plans to build enough sales to meet half of its global battery needs, with most production capacity located in Europe and North America. And those are today's headlines. Jamie. Incumbent UAW President Ray Curry protesting the union's election process. Jamie, is this Curry trying to hold on for dear life at this point? <laughs> yeah, it, it does smack of desperation. Uh, you know, so close to uh, the race being called to suddenly have this, you know, flurry of protests. You know, I guess the one thing in his defense, this is such a new process. You know, we just don't have an established track record for, you know, how campaigning's supposed to work how votes are supposed to be cast and counted. So, you know, there's going to be some some messiness. But yeah, it looks like uh, it's just a matter of time. And we'll see uh, how these complaints get resolved. Coming up, we'll hear from service coach Coralie Zueff about her experiences as a woman in fixed ops and how dealerships can do a better job attracting women to the profession. That's next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose Recontract. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Coralie Zueff teaches service drive managers and advisors how to better communicate with customers, and she has a lot of experience in that department. She worked for years on the service drive herself. She spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Shine about her work as a service coach and how managers can do a better job attracting women to the profession. Coralie, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got involved in this business. Well, I think it's a similar story, but different from what a lot of people say is nobody really plans on getting into automotive when they're younger, but you just sort of happen upon it. So I first got started in the industry when I was in high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was thinking about going into law, but I wasn't 100% sure. And then when I was leaving the school one day, there was a poster on the wall that was for the first year automotive technician course. So I, something clicked. I was like, uh-huh, I should take that. And, you know, it's, it's 10 months. And even if I don't end up being a technician, it's still great knowledge. So I did that. And it was a, a super awesome experience. However, I really miss talking to people. So I kind of did a 180, like, well, I have all this automotive knowledge. So then I went into car sales <laughs> and that was fabulous too. I had a good mentor in there and uh, met lots of great people and, and sold cars. So that was fun. But then customers, when they were buying a car, really weren't interested in hearing about, you know, the size of the tires, where, how to top up their washer fluid or how to check the oil, how easily accessible things were under the hood. So 
Um, after that, I found myself, got a job in the parts department, and the rest is kind of history. I, I spent some time there, and the service manager at the store I was at was like, ah, let's try as a service advisor. And then the rest is history. Nice. Is there much difference between a service department at a Canada dealership as a U.S. dealership? I know you're in, in Vancouver Island in, in Canada. Is there much difference between how things operate, same challenges, same opportunities for the most part? I think for the most part, we all have the same challenges and have the same benefits to going in there. Not necessarily country like Canada, U.S., but every brand, every owner, everything's structured a bit differently. So you're, you're a service advisor. Tell me what made you a good service advisor. First, when I started, actually, back to like the, my first day as a service advisor, there was a, a coworker who gave me a piece of advice and he said, part of your job is to keep the technicians busy. As at that time where I worked, the technicians were on flat rate. So it's very important to, to make sure they had work so that they were able to make their time. However, I look at it as... When cars are getting worked on, then customer vehicles are getting fixed. So it's a service for the customer as well. And I know you do some coaching for mostly for you know for service advisors. What are some of the things that you see that they need help in doing better? That question got me thinking a little bit. If I go on a job interview and people would ask me, what do you do when you have an upset customer? I'm like, upset customer? what are they upset about? <laughs> it's like, the price is too high, this took too long, you know, all those common complaints. I was like, well, I very rarely have an upset customer because I follow a specific process for doing stuff. And if they're upset, it's usually because I've missed something. So, so I find the number one thing is keeping the customer informed every step of the way when there's changes and communicating with them. So everything is transparent. So Everyone knows what the price should be. Everyone knows what the timeline is, what quality parts are going on, and then to update them as soon as there's a change. And then at the end, there's there's no surprises or reason for them to be upset. For service advisors, you know, some common thinking can be, you know, oh, it's, you know, how hard can it be? You, like, you, you, you treat people well, how you want to be treated, and the money will flow in. But I'm guessing it's not that simple. That's right. It's a, it's a bit of a process. And you need to be able to talk to the customers, but you also need to be able to have that automotive knowledge to really the service advisor is in between the customer and the technician. They're like a translator. So you have to be able to get the proper information from the customer and give it to the technician and then vice versa, take the diagnosis and explain it to the customer and to be able to sell the work there. So tell me also about the challenges that you faced in being a service advisor for you know, a female service advisor and how customers view you and would take your advice. You seem, you, I'm sure you know the car inside and out from your tech training background, but I'm guessing that maybe some of the male customers would have some skepticism about what you thought the problem might be. <laughs> that doesn't happen for all. One, as a service advisor, I never, never guess at what something might be at the counter. That's not my spot, so I'd never be like, oh, it's, it might be this. I just collect all the symptoms and and relate it to the customer. But as part of, I guess you're referring to being a woman in, a woman in that position and explaining repairs to, to males. And it has happened like a couple of times where a customer, you know, didn't want to talk to me and they want to talk to the men, for example, there. But I find that the important thing is having a good team behind you that, you know, will, will back you up and tell the customer, no, you need to talk to her to 
to book the appointment or to know how much stuff is going to cost. You really have to have a good team behind you rather than, okay, fine, we'll, you know, push her to the side and I'll handle it then. That's kind of a red flag if people don't want to, co-workers don't want to cooperate in that capacity. And you told me you were participating in the kind of a special women in trades kind of month, a series of kind of introducing young girls and women to to uh, in trades there. Tell me a little bit about it and, and kind of what your role is there. Yeah, so it seems to be a spring thing that happens here in Canada. It's my second year uh, participating in it. Last year was the first and I had one day and this month I'm actually doing six days with different groups. So that's exciting. The one I'm doing like tomorrow is a group of women between 18 and 30 that are interested in the trades and want to see what it's all about, but not sure how to do that. So the college here has put together a program and every day there's a different woman from a trade coming in. So there's an automotive technician, there's a plumber, there's an electrician. I'm doing parts and warehousing. There's carpentry. So many different ones like drywall and roofing and baking is also a trade. And hairdressing is a Red Seal certification as well. So we each get a day to introduce them to what we do. So I'll go about, you know, showing random parts to be put on the desk and we'll all guess what they're called. And then I'll show them how to look it up online, being like online shopping and such. And we'll go over labor guides and, and see if it's something that interests them. If they're excited about it, then yay. But if they're not and it's, you know, not the trade for them, then I've given them some knowledge that they can use in their everyday life. Like, for example, tires and tire sizing and what the numbers on the sidewall mean. So that's the first thing I'll introduce to them. What about the, the recruiting more women? It's, you know, there's you know, a lot of talk that there's you know, the number of women who are in automotive service are, are pretty low. What do you, how do you think you, you, we attack that problem? And, and what would you say to these women who, who might be interested in automotive? And how would you kind of characterize you know, being a female in, in this industry and how it's been for you? I think the, the first way to sort of counteract that is I've listened to some recruiters talking about finding technicians and, and employees and they're, you know, just referring to them as the guys and when he comes in and such. So if I'm me or some other female is watching that, we're going to not be attracted to that or even like try to apply because they've already, you know, narrowed it down and it doesn't sound like they want a female. It might be completely by accident and out of habit. I know I do the same thing, <laughs> you know, looking at other trades. Oh, you got to get a plumber. Well, just have to call the guy then, right? So I think it's something that, that we all may need to make a mindset switch and not refer to technicians as strictly male. And it's an industry that obviously you, you love. Um, and so this is something that you would encourage other women to get involved in. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, What's, it's the uh, same thing as everything else. Right. It's good and the good and the bad and there's ups and downs. Well, Coralie, it was great chatting with you. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. Coralie Zueff is a service advisor and coach in Vancouver Island, British Columbia. She spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Hans Grimel and Michael Martinez for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on service and parts, the UAW's leadership election, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.